Sex shops and nightclubs. Chinatown. Vibrant but grubby. The uh, reign of Georgi Peterson. Interesting people. Um, music. Vomit on the on splattered onto the windows. Bubbles bathhouse. Sundays are all about duck noodles. It's dead. It's dying. Always evolving. Always changing. It could be a brilliant place, but it needs tidying up. Am I being too rude now? That's going to be a bit of a clash because that's a luxury apartment on our left, and there's like a Wesley emergency mission on our right. Love it or hate it, everyone has an opinion about Fortitude Valley. Depending on who you are, it's getting cleaned up or gentrified or developed, or put simply, poor people are getting pushed out. Hi, I'm Shona Hawkes, a rookie radio journalist with 4ZZZ and Women on the Edge. This is 1.4 Square Kilometres, a show about trying to find out what the hell is going on in Fortitude Valley, who's driving the change, and more importantly, how it's impacting and shaping the local community. Lucky for you, I won't be telling this story alone. I'm reaching out to all different parts of the community. Hi, I'm Kayla. I'm Charlie. I like to be called Kimmy. Uh, my name's Andrew Bartlett. Gordon. Grace Pashley. Andy Deborah Bennett. My name is Elsa. I'm Lauren. And together, we're going to cover everything from how change is impacting sex work to shoe repairs. So welcome. Let's get started. <laughs> Fifteen minutes from the airport lies a place. A place that lies on the doorstep of it all. Fortitude Valley's Entertainment District. Just before we dive in too quickly, if you've never been to Fortitude Valley, the next hour is probably not going to make a whole heap of sense. So let me just give you a quick crash course. Uh, quick facts, Fortitude Valley is next to Brisbane CBD. It is 1.4 square kilometres. It has about 6,000 people living there. And each weekend, another 50,000 people come in um, to see bands or go to nightclubs. Uh, we're doing a crash course. Let's look at just, just one street, not even the whole street. Let's just look at a bit of one street, Brunswick Street. It's the main road. It goes through the spine of the valley. I'm just going to give you a quick list of what you'd see if you walk through maybe the main 200 metres of Brunswick Street. You're going to see a train station, there's an open air mall, there's construction sites, there's towers of new apartment buildings going up. You're going to see strip clubs, new hipster bars, a police station, fast food joints, music venues and a whole and a whole heap of empty shops. Uh, there's a Govinda's restaurant um, that also gives meals to the homeless and you might also see a mobile soup kitchen that sets up in a, in a nearby alley some nights. Um, in the doorways you might see people sleeping rough or you might see their blankets and other belongings that they've left there. Uh, you might see a couple of bilingual signs because nearby is the city's Chinatown. And what you should also know is this is Aboriginal land important to both Yagara and Turrbal peoples. Always was, always will be. Sovereignty never ceded. You're listening to 1.4 square kilometres. That was excellent. I came at the stray. <laughs> Do you know what I mean by that? Well, it's like a stray dog or stray cat, but I was a stray human. My name's Kim Netterfield, and I like to be called Kimmy. I met Kimmy at the Monday night barbecue run by Valley Hearts, where anyone who needs it can come and get a free feed. 
the barbecue was in a beautiful community park in Bowen Hills, uh, just past the edge of the valley. Chatting to Kimmy, you get a really good sense about what life in the valley is like and what it's been like over the last few years. Do you think Fortitude Valley has changed? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For the worse. Because nobody's there anymore. Where have they gone? They don't. They could have gone anywhere. I've been here nearly 16 years in the valley. My brother lived in Brisbane, just down the road from where I live. I live in my own unit now in Green Square. What's that building like? Beautiful. One want to move. Yeah, I love the valley. I love my place. Just to interrupt for a second, what Kimmy said there, Green Square, that's the old bus depot. We're going to come back to that later on. Do you know many of your neighbours there? Oh, no, not many. But I hardly ever see anyone. It's very different. I like having my friends, you know, or my street friends, you know. I, I get along with everyone. I'm always friendly. Everybody knows me, and they all like me. I'm part of them, part of their family. Hey, Sean. That's right. And I've known Rancho Mo, I've known them for maybe about 10 years. I've known Mo for about that long because he used to go to street level, the really new one. The old one, I should say, not the new one. What's street level? Street level is Salvation Army. It started off in Grenier Street. Grenier Street wasn't very big, it was only a little room more or less and we moved ourselves down to um, back to street in St Paul Terrace. We were there for a long time there. Because the building was going to be sold, we had to go to School Street near Woolworth, Bring Hill. They were doing all these apartments. Every five minutes when I go away, there's buildings. <laughs> There's buildings when I come back. You know where you are, your radio station? Well, would you believe there used to be a really big old white church building? That was called Brisbane City Church. There's no more church there because somebody went up in the ceiling one day because they got refused some um, help. They decided they'd go up in the building and light a fire. I was away at the time. My mum told me back in 19... Ah, uh, sorry, 2000 and... Oh, sure, no, I can't remember. So is that where the apartments are now? Yeah, that's exactly where it is. I couldn't believe it. I cried because that was a good church. If you could make one suggestion yeah. how to improve the valley, what would that be? I'd like to bring all the old people back. I really would love to bring everybody back because nobody deserves to go. I mean, that's their home. They're all my friends, you know, and I miss them. Yeah, well, you want to go to my Sedona studio or 
I'm not able to um, record anything because I haven't been trained in the studio. Maybe we could just go upstairs. Okay, cool. yeah. After you. I'm Charlie, and I host the Locked In Show at 4 Z every week, and I've done that for the last 11 years. And since being out of jail, I've lived in the valley for the last 11 years, but I've had a lot to do with the valley prior to my incarceration. Just since now, being back out into society for the last 11 years, I've seen massive changes. I know the street life has cut down a lot, especially since they even revamped um, the Valley Mall. I live in one of the first units that were built back in 2006 called Brisbane Housing, and they are everywhere. I don't agree with some of their things, but basically it is affordable. I know it's a money-making adventure for them. They say it's not, but I know that it is. Uh, but there is a lot of people that are put into their care pretty easily because of what i do with lockdown because i've done so long inside i help a lot of inmates female and men when they get out so down in new farm there are a lot of boarding houses closed did that affect the valley as well you had a lot of people from down there struggle they trying to find accommodation in Roma House and Pindari and especially where I live too because uh, I've still got a couple of boarding houses down in my street. I know that quite a few from the valley went out to Mitchelton and Capera and Arana Hills. The only reason why I know that is because I used to work out at Capera and Grove. I used to do lawns and um, I'd see them. As for the rest of them, I don't know. Just to orientate you, on the train from Central. to is two minutes. Mitchelton Station. Twenty-one minutes. Kilpera Station. Twenty-seven minutes. And for Arana Hills, thirty-one minutes. Next order, Triple Z. You've got the biggest methadone, biodone, subitext, and suboxone dosing clinic in Queensland. It's out of the way. No one knows it's there, and you you see normal people you know, that are trying to get off their drug problem. But then, on the other hand, you've got that said, well, vermin. I hate drugs, and drugs have destroyed my life, and that's not through me using them, it's through other people using them. So I just hate drugs. Since across the road, with all the new development going on, I have a funny feeling that they're going to get booted, moved along soon. I reckon in the next 10 years, you'll really find it hard to see any street people, I reckon that they're, they're just going to crack down on it big time. And you've still got a lot of um, street people go up the road to the 139 Club because they help them out. Yeah, well, one thing from the old days to now, the stuff all strip joints. I mean, I couldn't give two. But there's only, what, one, two, three, four. There's only five. Everything's closed. I mean, we haven't even got a Commonwealth Bank here anymore. They closed that down because no one was using it. Half the Brunswick Street Mall is dead set vacant. And the other half is dead set just pubs. Pubs or kebab shops. I know you've got Woolworths, but technically that's classified as Spring Hill. And the only food place really in the valley is Foodworks. That's at near Brunswick Street train station inside the centre. But they're expensive and they're not open all the time. That you just look across the road from Triple Z and there's units going up just down the road and there's yeah, more units planned there and then more units planned in Barry Parade 
and the sun's just getting finished and started on just over from Anne Street. It's just, yeah, phenomenal. And did they do any, like, public consultation? Nope, I never got nothing. Never seen nothing. Zip, 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 or As far as I know, nothing. I know a lot of people that live in the valley and not, they, you, don't, you don't get told anything. Or maybe sometimes about roadworks. After chatting to Charlie, I looked up about 25 properties that each had a series of recent development applications approved by council. I wanted to read the public comments being made about the proposals, which include soaring towers of new apartments and high-rise commercial buildings, and I found nothing. The complete lack of public involvement in decisions in what collectively represents a massive overhaul of the physical and social fabric of the valley was really shocking. Only two of the properties I looked at had any public comments at all. One was a large commercial development led by the Anglican Church. The other had a heap of submissions, but these didn't come from the valley. They came from members of a citizens group in the next door suburb of Spring Hill, a group which included high status professionals like doctors. What I find disturbing, rents are gonna go up because of all the high rises going up and there's just blocks of flats just coming up everywhere. Their rents are going to go up, which makes our rents go up. And that's what I disagree with. But that's one way of getting so-called low life out of Fortitude Valley because they won't be able to afford rents and living here. It's just becoming a joke. heard about Brisbane Housing Company, I got it confused with public housing, where you typically pay only 25% of your income. Brisbane Housing Company apartments aren't based on incomes. They're listed as affordable because rents are discounted. You pay 75% of the market rate. So as Charlie said, as rents grow up across the suburb, so does his. Between 2006 and 2011, Brisbane Housing Company built 266 of these discounted apartments in Fortitude Valley. This was presented as a way to ensure that poor people weren't pushed out by new development. But since 2014, two developers alone, Gurner and Metro, have built, or will soon complete, almost 1,900 apartments in the valley, with Gurner specifically targeting the luxury market. And there's many more beyond that. Kimmy's apartment, for example, sits in the middle of boutique eateries and expensive bars. If you spend a lot of time in the valley at the moment, you have a lot of conversations trying to keep track of what things were just a couple of years ago, what's going to get knocked down, remade, what it might be. Like the one I had with Charlie as he stood outside smoking a cigarette. Two, three years ago, that used to be a really, really good um, Japanese restaurant. Still got the Japanese designs and everything, but it's a Wesley mission now. I'm, I'm, I'm not even quite sure what's happening with RACQ, so I just have a funny feeling that'll be another thing that'll get knocked. Beside that, is I think the biggest architectural firm in the Southern Hemisphere now. But that used to be old Oscare. Uh, probably two, yeah, 2007, 2008. And that's when, yeah, that's when they moved, Oscare moved over to South Brisbane. They used to be an old church. Oh, is that what it was? Oh, yeah, old church right on the corner there. Because there's going to be more massive developments out the back of the Queensland, uh, out the back of Brunswick Street train station. The car park's getting knocked down. One day I was walking through Fortitude Valley train station. If you get off the train, you go up some escalators and there's a food court, series of shops, a pharmacist, a lot of empty shops. I came across a man and his son clearing out a small shop 
Gordon from Hallelujah Shoe Repairs graciously agreed to chat to me about why he was closing his business. Yeah, it was always an expensive rent, but it's like not as much, but after being 10 years with compounding increases. So we've had the last couple of months on reduced rent because they wanted us to stay. The thing is, it's like we know the rent's going to go up again because that's the contract. There's a lot of places closed up in here. I'm trying to remember there was like a clothing store down here. Yeah, clothing store. We had a nail store there. We had a dry cleaner down here. We had a bookstore down there. We had a bag shop two doors up. The thing is, I don't actually have a problem with the management here. We're on very good terms, and I understand that the rent's too high and that, and I'm closing the business, but that's just life. They're insisting on the rent, I can't be here anymore. All my fit out here was solid timber, brushed aluminium, really nicely finished. It represents an expense of nearly $70,000 that I'm now smashing up and putting in a rubbish hopper, which I find very sad. We live in this Western culture where we are so shamefully wasteful. I remember my friends growing up and going and working in the family business. That doesn't exist anymore. It's because of retail leasing. Because retail leasing marches the price up, this shop costs $68,000 to do the fit out. But we only cut keys and do shoemaking and you know, so it's hard to make the money to pay that back, to pay the big rent. Our whole culture lacks the energy to be creative. So I've actually had people come in and buy, for instance, the last one bought a watch battery. So we only carry top of the line watch batteries because we have to guarantee them. So I sell a watch battery for $8, which includes my markup. So he bought the watch battery, he went away, came back the next day and he said, um, this is the wrong battery, I don't want it. What had happened was he'd bought one for less than half the price I sold it for online, but it was a really cheap battery. So I think that the internet culture is actually taking away, but I can see that that's the way our culture is growing. And I'm not pessimistic about it, but you have to create your own environment and I'm hopeful that we'll be able to create that with this opportunity next year. Gordon told me he was setting up a business in a few months' time down in Gasworks, an upmarket centre where they'd offer workshops and not just repairs. We're supplying the equipment, he's supplying the space, we're going to work together. It's not a normal, you know, I'm out for every dollar I can get sort of relationship. We've been here for 10 years. We have a store at Albany Creek, we've been there for 28 years this year. And we've got a store in the city that we leased out and now we've sold to the staff of the store. We go for long-term relationships and long-term business, but even the store at Albany Creek, it was very hard to renegotiate the lease. 28 years of 5% a year marching on. Eventually, it comes to a point where you have to do a major market adjustment. Landlords don't like to do that. You know, you're here for five years, you've got to refit. Here for five years, they want you to renegotiate the lease. It's tough. So instead of having a family business, they've created a business that has a life expectancy of the lease term. They've got a walkway over to McQuarters. So they had a little dispute there and the guy just closed the walkway. So that affected the trade here in the centre like dramatically. There's, we just didn't have a lot of people coming through. They're coming into the station from the other direction. And then Green Square, one of the buildings down there vacated. So we lost three or 400 people working in the immediate area. Transport house is empty now. All those workers, they were all coming in on the train and they're all dropping their shoes in. And we've been working with them for a couple of years and then they're gone. Instead of having a stable environment, like my Albany Creek store, I go up there, the people in the area know how many kids I've got, they want to ask how they're going, they ask how many grandkids I've got. It's, it's a very relational thing. We've got a solid, predictable business, whereas here in the valley, it's really up and down. And we keep saying it's going to improve, but who knows, if we could predict such things, we wouldn't work in retail.
Months later, the shop's still empty. Walking through the valley, you had this kind of mental list keeping track of what the abandoned shops and buildings used to be. Brunswick Street 10 shop, the Filipino consulate, a fast food place called Carvery, an eviction notice still stuck in its window, lavender boutique ladies wear, trash monkey clothing, a dry cleaners, a short-lived Gloria jeans, all-way travel, the Hyundai Medical Centre, iFocus optometrist, radio rentals, gamer lounges, Vanessa bridal wear, a snow gum, a sporting goods store, various bank branches, a string of $2 shops that sold tea strainers and brooms and buckets, Asia House restaurant, family plan in Queensland, hallelujah shoe repairs. And when new businesses do move in, the contrast between the old and the new is stark. I find myself and my partner Craig having more conversations like this one. Warning, there's a swear word. So I was typing that into you Google and there is no shit a business called Artisan Cosmetic Clinic. No way. Artisan Cosmetic Everything's artisan nowadays. So let me see if I can get artisanclinic.com.au. I think they give a little explanation about what makes them artisan. A tailored approach. At Artisan, we understand that every patient is unique and refuse to cut corners by offering a one-size-fits-all approach. <laughs> to what? <laughs> Cosmetic surgery, of course. <laughs> like, that's just stating the obvious. So I'm broke again. Don't know how I'm going to Sometimes change is more subtle, affecting the less tangible, but no less special parts of the valley. My friend Sal and I got chatting about this the other day, so I pressed record on my phone. Because like, I just talk about that more. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I found really amazing when I moved to Brizzy was, you know how there's that little police station in there? At the time, you'd have people sleeping rough opposite the police station. Yeah, deliberately. Because yeah. it was safe. Yeah, I'd never seen that before, and the last year or so it feels like it's stopped yeah probably i mean the point of that place was not sort of to keep the polite part of society safe it really was to keep the people that needed safety safe we are secret love poems written in the silty sand beneath the story bridge at low tide We are the homeless busker on the corner of Brunswick and Wickham. We are four triple Z at 2.30 in the morning. We are the Mercedes hating anti-authoritarian pigeon that strikes without warning. I reckon bump yours up right up to the top because that'll be a pain in the butt to edit later. <laughs> Brisbane's four triple Z community radio station has been in the valley since 1992. And as a self-proclaimed activist organisation, I wanted to get their take on what's happening in the valley. I met with Grace Pashley, the station manager, and Andrew Bartlett, who at the time was the chair of 4 Z's board and a long-time presenter. He's since left to take up a new day job as a Green Senator. This building's been many things over its lifetime, and there's a lot of history uh, with this building. Before we were here, it was the Brisbane headquarters of the Australian Communist Party building. Um, it was bombed in the 70s by an alleged local fascist who was never uh, convicted of any charges. We don't know why. <laughs> Do you know why? Uh, might have been because of his links to the special branch police at <laughs> yeah, the time. To perhaps. the politically active local fascists. I don't think it's alleged that he was a fascist. I think it's yeah, established okay. he was a fascist. I think it's just <laughs> alleged as to whether he was the bomber. Yeah, right. Okay. Right now it's a really strange time to be working in the valley because 
I walk from my bus stop um, up on Brunswick Street near the Judith Wright Centre through Brunswick Street, through the mall, and then up to this, you know, grungier area of Brunswick Street and then down St Paul's Terrace to get to 4ZZZ. At the moment, the Gurner building is in, I think it's completing the, the third tower, and it's just this massive pit, and it's it just crazy to think that it's going to look exactly like the towers that are already completed, which have happened during the time that I've been here. So within the two years, I've had to ask people what was there before. It was a church, right? Kind of an indication of what's happening in the valley at the moment. It is being a little bit scrubbed up. Those places that were grungy are kind of being made into grungy TM, like the the cool, slick grungy that you can sell to yuppies. But, um, you know, the, there's benefits to that in that people feel safe coming to Fortitude Valley, maybe more so than they did in 92. But there are definitely risks in terms of the things that we stand for and the communities that we seek to serve. I know a lot of them are very vulnerable right now. When the suburb changes, it will become less friendly to the homeless populations who use the Wesley Mission across the road as kind of a hub. It's really hard to say what the next few years are going to bring. I mean, my main concern is noise complaints from the car park gigs. <laughs> in terms of protections, we're, we're very lucky in Fortitude Valley to be a part of that entertainment precinct. So there are safeguards for developers who want to come and build here. They have to acknowledge first that it is an entertainment precinct and then your luxury playgrounds. The whole area is hugely under threat, I'd have to say. I mean, gentrification is a, a word that's used in a lot of contexts. I think in, in a lot of other parts of Brisbane, you know, Paddington's perhaps a classic one where it was, you know, small working class cottages that basically become extremely expensive, wealthy cottages poorer people forced out to the edges. Similar issue in, in the valley, but I guess the big difference here is, is just putting up masses of apartments and some of them are luxury ones like across the roads, others are, you know, frankly not. They're apartments, but they're not luxury, they're rack and stack. It's not a coincidence to things like the lockout laws and the utterly, utterly, utterly ridiculous compulsory scanning, ID scanning things that are here and that hits the small venues, you know, the big mega clubs can cope fine, the small venues, which are the ones that developers want to force out and put their big buildings on top of. There's definitely the popular view that developers are sitting somewhere in a penthouse skyscraper sharpening their pitchforks ready to come and skewer the most vulnerable communities just anywhere that they could potentially make money from. And that's definitely the view of a lot of people around here. That's a caricature of what they are. But taking like a global perspective of changing cities, progress is inevitable. Oftentimes, this kind of progress is favoured over community-driven progress. It's just progress by whoever has the most money. Once the ball of development starts rolling, it's, it snowballs and it, it's really hard to undo. Planning laws now are just totally developer-friendly. The community's got no capacity, really, to, to have any significant input into what happens in an area like the Valley where the, the notion of a, a local residential community is much more fragmented. They just sit on buildings and let them go dilapidated. All sorts of community uses that could be made for some mm. of these buildings have been empty for 10 years or the old Walton's building, $2 shops in it for 20 years. The walkway across the streets sort of, you know, feels like you're going to get mugged if you use it and the escalator up from the street's been closed for five years and that's just been let to deliberately run down. That's literally killed businesses. But, you know, that, that's a common tactic. It develops a little building run down. If it's a heritage building, then it accidentally catches fire. And everyone says that's a shame, and then they build whatever they wanted to build on it anyway. It's also the issue of history that gets lost. Partly the nature of our throwaway society, but it's partly, you know, it's a lot easier to obliterate uh, what's already there if people don't value it. This brings me back to the conversation I was having with my friend Sal. We mentioned the renovation of the Valley Mall. I think that was around 2013. 
it was I think it was the Cosmopolitan, and it was just this institution. It was like where you went for Sunday breakfast before Sunday breakfast was a thing, but also a really safe place, like in the valley, given that not all of the valley felt very safe. It was a place that you could retreat to. It was pretty amazing. I had booths. I read a really interesting, I don't know if it was the Brisbane Times, the guy that I think Campbell Newman appointed to oversee doing up the Brunswick Street Mall. Yeah. I think it's a coffee magnate called Philip DeBella. Oh, yeah. And he married one of the, I think a daughter of the people who ran the Cosmopolitan Cafe. He had a massive feud with the family. I just thought it was really interesting that this business has been around for like 30 years. And then when they were doing the mall, remember how they had those um, fences up, like really close to all the businesses? And there was a whole heap of businesses, well, not a whole heap, but enough that seemed to go bankrupt or close down at that time where all the foot traffic weren't able to pass through. And there was another cafe right next to the Cosmo. It was like a little Italian restaurant cafe. It was like the nice place. You might even go on a date there. The Wing Hing grocery shop is replaced by a fast food sushi joint. A discount chemist becomes a New York pizza slice and a Philadelphia cheesesteak. A jeweler's turns into a nail salon. A florist becomes a specialty cupcake store. An African hairdresser's becomes a sex shop. Burlington supermarket is replaced by a property developer's showroom. Chinatown restaurants give way to boutique bars. After over three decades in the mall, the Cosmopolitan Cafe closes. A Domino's pizza rises up in its place. You're listening to 1.4 square kilometres from 4ZZZ and Women on the Edge. For me, the slippery slope of gentrification can be seen in what Council has done with the old decommissioned bus depot site. This opened up valuable land in a densely packed suburb. First off, Council provided some of the site for Brisbane Housing Company. That became the Green Square Apartments in 2010 and a community centre. Next, another part of the site was used for Council itself to moonlight as a developer and build a 15-storey commercial tower. It did this through its investment arm called the City of Brisbane Investment Corporation, or CBIC for short. It then sold the building off, even though Council was still using it, and now had to pay private rent. And then lastly, sometime around late 2017, Council secretly sold off another part of the site to an unknown developer. There was no tender, no auction, and definitely no opportunity for local communities to have their say in how they'd like the land to be used. Again, Council did this via CBIC. Most outrageously, Council now plans to directly finance developers, or what CBIC's 2017 annual reports call providing third-party developer loans. Another example of the ties between developers and council can be found just above Fortitude Valley train station in a small shopping centre called Valley Metro. In 2014, LaSalle Investment bought the long-term lease on Valley Metro and plans to turn it into a huge commercial and residential tower. LaSalle's parent company is JLL. Amongst other things, JLL helps big companies like global banks or even government departments to sell properties or manage their day-to-day upkeep or invest. JLL only deals with the big end of town. No small stuff. So it has a financial stake in a certain vision of the valley. A JLL director sat on the 13-person Lord Mayor's Economic Steering Committee and also sits on Council's Urban Futures Board, alongside two ex-JLL staffers. Two out of the three of CBIC's latest CEOs had recent experience working for JLL when they started, and a JLL director sat on CBIC's board in its early days. About six months before LaSalle bought Valley Metro, 
ex-Lord Mayor, then Premier, Campbell Newman, even took JLL's Australian head on a trade delegation to the US. I asked JLL why a global company headquartered in Chicago would need to be on a delegation to try and drum up business in the States. Their media person quoted me their ethics credentials, but she didn't actually answer my question. This is just to illustrate that JLL has had a seat at the table as council decided to provide development incentives to attract more four and five star hotels to the inner city or to create Fortitude Valley as a creative precinct, which I initially thought had something to do with performers or artists, but turns out is all about cashed up creatives like software developers and marketers and architects. Taking these decisions as a whole, aspects of class become really obvious. Change in the valley hasn't just evolved. It's been socially engineered. The move did increase supply with four and five star developments rising out of the ground. This really is a truly unique place within Australia's startup community. It's at the cutting edge, it's in the valley, and it is the precinct. I wanted to meet someone in one of these brand new apartments. I'm Lauren and I moved to the valley in May 2017, previously living in Maruka and then before that Melbourne and then before that Seven Hills. Um, I've been in Australia for over two years. I'm 22 and Alex is 27, soon to be 28. Okay, so we've got a one-bedroom apartment with no parking space and we pay $330 a week. So we just pay for our hot water and our electricity, which doesn't end up being too much, maybe about $50 to $80 a month. Up until recently, I was working free casual bartending jobs due to me being on a visa. Alex, he's always been a tattooist. We've got one casual worker and one self-employed, so you never know what money's going to come in. By no means are we high-balling, but we have worked hard to be where we are. Living in an apartment building here in Oxford Towers, you've got your fob. It's just part of your key, and you tap it um, as if it's a go-kart, essentially, and it will let you go to your allocated areas. You need to fob to get into the front, fob to get into the car park, into the pool, onto the roof, into the gym or the rumpus room or the little study room. So, like, it's as secure as you can want it. I am a bit of a security freak from having, like, previous, like, attempted robberies. It suddenly struck me that there's very little public space in Fortitude Valley itself. No major parks, no green areas. Lawrence Flat is in the second of three towers being built on one city block. Thousands of people are moving into the area, but there's no new public spaces. The new leisure areas that are being created are privatised and fenced off. It's not a very private lifestyle. Anyone that goes out on those balconies can just stare into our whole apartment. You can get anywhere with ease, like on the busway or on the train. That was the main reason, really, was transport, for us not driving. It's incredibly inconvenient living in the suburbs. You miss a bus, you've got to wait like sometimes even up to an hour. It's quite a strict place. You don't really feel like you can relax and have a drink because there is a lot of police, a lot of bouncers, so much like enforcement around. I mean, he can't even get into alternative bars. He's a tattooist, like of course, <laughs> he's gonna have tattoos. Even when like we do get him into places, it's difficult because he's being hovered around. When we want to go out drinking, we tend to get an Uber to West End. Because <laughs> it's just nicer. <laughs> There's a street just down there, King Street, near the showgrounds, and it's got like really cute little restaurants. It's a bit like 
Sin City-esque, you know, like it's not really real. I think streets like that are the start of the gentrification of the valley. I feel a bit judged sometimes when I go down there. There are like dodgy, dodgy people on the street and poor people on the street and stuff, but they're not really abusive. I mean, except for asking for a cigarette or a dollar, like they keep to themselves. You can say no and they're not gonna chase you down the street. You do feel sorry for the drug addicts and the struggling people and the homeless people down by the station and up to Water Street, but they are, looked after to a certain extent. They are just part of the valley community. When you're walking home at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, it does feel intimidating. As a young woman, I never really feel too threatened. It just kind of does deter people from moving to the valley. But they're not bad people, they're just in a bad place. And you know, you leave them be, they'll leave you be everyone can get about their day and get their stuff done. Brisbane suburb of debauchery. Restaurants, but having said that, I've never really investigated the restaurant scene down there. Uh, Filipino shops like uh, Filipino uh, food. The kind of gritty cultural underground of Brisbane, really. I also wanted to hear about how change was impacting workers in one of Fortitude Valley's most iconic industries, sex work. Hi, I'm Kayla. Uh, I'm the chairperson of Respecting Queensland, which is Queensland's peer-run sex worker organisation. So that means that everyone uh, that works or volunteers at Respect is a past or present sex worker. I'm a sex worker and I've been doing sex work for about eight or nine years. The thing that most affects sex workers and our work is actually the law. And so the reason that street work isn't very visible in Fortitude Valley is because of the police presence. Sex work definitely still goes on, it's just more in apartments. There was a really lively street scene 10, 15 years ago and further back. And today there's barely a street scene and that's just because police were harassing workers and it becomes harder to make money when you are having to deal with police. Police acting as though they are sex workers and police acting as though they're clients. So it just becomes a real headache. So now most work is done privately. And in Queensland, the legal framework is you can work privately on your own. So personally, so I'll work out of hotel rooms or apartments or my house or my apartment that I'm living in. Alternatively, if you're working in a legalised uh, brothel. But sex work, there's a lot of different sectors. So I have worked in a lot of the strip clubs around the valley as well. As far as peer support goes, the benefits of working with others on the street is that you have peer support around you. Uh, same as in brothels. When I'm working in the strip club, it is common for police in uniforms to come in and just stand around. I've also had police come in in like plain clothes and they're very obvious because you can just tell by the way they look and how uncomfortable they are. And they're looking to see if the club has controllers, which are people that are meant to be supervising any of the like lap dancers and to make sure the laws are being followed. And when you're working in a brothel, it's also common for police to come in. Same thing. 
there is this constant police presence. My personal experience and the experience of most of my peers that I know is that we find the police presence unhelpful, harmful, intimidating, and that's also in the private sector as well. And so in Queensland, you've got all these regulations that you have to follow and they're not clear, they're broad. And when you try and get clarification from the PLA, which is the Prosecution Licensing Authority, the answers are still unclear. So I know a lot of people who have been fined. Also working at Respect, I have witnessed a lot of racism against Asian sex workers who are often targeted many of my peers have been charged and fined for doing things like working with another sex worker. So it's actually not legal to work with another sex worker privately. I think the reason that was created is because it was created by people that don't understand sex work, have not done sex work, and it's surrounded by things like trafficking and pimping, which aren't very prevalent in Queensland sex work. So I can't work with a PR for safety or for whatever other reason I might have. So I have to work on my own. The law is actually that you can only have one sex worker working on one premise in Queensland and the definition of premise can be as broad as an entire building or a set of buildings. So it's extremely broad. Personally and my peers regularly work out of, you know, around the valley and inner city, all range of accommodation. And that includes Airbnb, hotels and motels. So it just depends on how much you want to spend. You don't want to be spending a really high rate on your hotel if you're not planning on doing a lot of volume of work. And it depends on how much you're charging. How much you're charging also then has a lot to do with, you know, your privilege. So I'm personally a white female under 30 sex worker. So I have a lot of privilege in this industry. The increased gentrification of inner city suburbs was one of the, I guess one of the reasons that, so the visibility of street-based sex work, you know, has stopped because the police are targeting street-based sex workers because they are seen to not be palatable by the rest of the community. And when community members, so non-sex workers, think that sex work like brings down the value or is not seen as something that they want around, you know, that harmfully impacts sex workers and our business when there are like raids on sex workers, unlicensed brothels or just sex workers working on their own or being kicked out of places because we're not wanted there. That is harmful to sex work and sex workers. At Respect, we support full decriminalisation of sex work. So that way we could operate just like any other business rather than being regulated by the state and having to follow laws that are created by people who have never done sex work, don't have the experience in what our needs are and actually don't know what's best for our health and safety. And they usually have discriminatory religious undertones and moral undertones sex work is work. I don't think sex work should be seen as something that needs to be cleaned off the streets or not in my suburb because sex work always will operate. We just have to sometimes operate in more harmful or unsafe situations to try and avoid being targeted by police. Yeah, people who are living nearby who might have a problem with it. So with decriminalisation and less stigma and discrimination against sex workers, We can accept that sex work is a part of the community. It doesn't need to be pushed out. It's safer and less harmful for sex workers to be able to work on our own terms.
You're listening to 1.4 square kilometres from 4ZZZ and Women on the Edge. Fortitude Valley is a really important place for a lot of different communities. Chinatown's probably the most obvious example of this. But these days it's like a bit of a ghost town. I crossed over the Story Bridge to get insight into this from 4EB, Brisbane's ethnic community broadcaster. My name is Elsa. I come from China. I'm actually part of China. We come from Taiwan anyway, but you know, that's a typical question. So I won't explain about China different with Taiwan. And I'm a high school teacher. I joined the radio 4EB since 1999. Voltage Valleys, we still call it home because we still call it Chinatown. But more people move to the Sunny Bend, now Sunny Bend is the other Chinatown. I immigrated with my family to Australia since 1997. So we asked people's advice. People will say, how about Sunny Bend? Sunny Bend not that small, not that expensive. More Asia in there, you will feel more comfortable. More room for the business, house and the shop. Chinatown area, the things is expensive. Sunny Bend is more cheaper. Voltage Valley kind of older. I know the government tried to do something, but well, to be honest, the shop and everything is still older. You in Voltage Valley need to speak in English. We go to shop, the people can speak in Chinese, but the people choose not to. We don't know why, but in the Sunny Bay, you speak in Chinese, they speak in Chinese, you speak in Taiwanese, they speak in Taiwanese. In Sunny Bay, it's more multicultural. They come from Taiwan, they come from Hong Kong, they come from China, they come from Singapore, they come from even a different area like Taipei, Taichung, Kaohsiung, Fujian, Beijing, Shenzhen, something like that. In Fortitude Valley, like, there's a lot of businesses which have closed. Have a lot of them moved to Sunny Bay? I think so, because the rental place, Sunny Bay is more cheaper. Not that much people around the Voltage Valley. In the daytime, you will find not much people walking on the street. Only on special days, like Chinese New Year. Chinatown not too much restaurant. Sunny Bay is everywhere is restaurant. They open the restaurant till middle night, 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock. They got a more clothes shop, they got a karaoke. They got a um, snook. You are eating Pinking Duck in there. Japanese restaurant in there. Korea barbecue in there. All the Chinese traditional come from Taipei, Taichung, Kaohsiung, Xinjiang, Shanghai, Shenzhen, all in there. You know, $10, you can get the whole meat, you can get the salad, you can get the drinks, you can get the um, little entry, also you can get dessert. But same price in the Voltage Valley, you can't eat much. And the shopping is so cheap, I don't know why same thing in the Voltage Valley was so expensive. Walking on the Voltage Valley in the street, the people was just $16,500, $17,500 really older people in there. Yeah, just, they still have an old shop in there, they still use the older way. Yeah. I know some people come in 1986 or even more earlier. Now it's changed, but well, some of my classmates, their family is still very traditional. Like my close friend want to marry and his father said, no, you can't. So she can't. Well, nothing wrong with the guy, just the father doesn't like it. Some of his parents' idea, the kids have no right to say no. So I think that's a way to stock voltage value. We are the sometimes forgotten middle children of Brisbane. We are white and yellow and light and dark brown. We dwell in the secret places of this town. You're listening to 1.4 square kilometres. Can we just sit down here for a sec? 
Yeah, so what happened was that those two ladies, I thought they had taken over the lease. They're the real estate agents? Yeah, they own the shop. I said, oh, did these guys fall behind on their rent? And they're like, oh, yeah, a lot. So they've fallen behind on the rent, and that's why they just had, just trying to think, they had, like, rice and chutneys and potato starch and chickpea flour. And, and these guys, obviously, up to, like, two months ago, thought they were staying in business. Because McWhirters was has kind of been, like, the safe haven. So many businesses have ended up coming in here. Not anymore? Yeah. I can't believe that grocery closed down. I can only think of like two left. There's the one that was right close to it, and then there's the one down near Chinatown. All the others have moved or full on. And they didn't have signs up or anything. They left a full shop. But who does that? Who leaves a full shop when they go out of business? I actually feel like my story's going to come out too late. Like, it's actually, instead of going to be following this process, it's going to be this time capsule. Of what happened. Yep. Yeah, what happened. Still going so quick. Yeah. Is there anything else that you think is important to add to this conversation? I guess that the entire suburb that uh, we're talking about right now is actually the original land of the Turrbal people and that First Nations people across Brisbane, as with anything that uh, is generally negative, that will happen, you know, society will feel the negative effects of gentrification maybe 10 years from now, but First Nations people feel it first, always. I think that's an important perspective to get. Stomping, legs shaking, cries all around The earth is quaking from stories passed down Black, yellow, red are the colours I reached out to Annie Deb because I wanted to learn more about Aboriginal and Islander people in the valley. We talked on the phone. She was in her car on the way to work. The line's a bit rough. Hello, my name's Annie Deborah Bennett. I'm a woman of Kubi Kubi, Wokwoka and Kalali background on my maternal grandmother's side and the latter on my maternal grandfather's side. I just need to clarify that it's Yuggera people's country. Turbal people had a claim over the place, but they're really north of the river and further back out. Fortitude Valley is the higher ground area. Whilst it is a valley, it is part of from down near New Farm, where it was originally a camping ground and a hunting and gathering area. From the historical records, we understand that a borer was to be found on the southern end of Fortitude Valley. I think it's where the old bus depot used to be. The Waterloo Hotel around that area, as you go out of Fortitude Valley towards the airport, and it also extended their part of country over towards Woolongabba, which was a traditional Bora ring. It was a very, very powerful area for the traditional owners, as you would imagine, by a river. It was no small thing to have those Boras there, and it's not my place to speak about that in any greater detail. During the 50s and 60s, when Aboriginal people were beginning to move from the outer rural regions and all across Australia, where many of them had been 
moved and taken and been sent away from their families, um, having already been moved off their country and put into places like Sherberg, they would come back to Brisbane to try and find work. And many of them, if they weren't employed in the factories, they were employed in private homes as servants. And many of them were like indentured service, where they really had no control of where they were sent, going back from the 1900s to the 1950s. So ultimately, when they were able, and many of them did, build really good and positive relationships with their employers, they also got to know those employers. And some of those employers were judges and lawyers and doctors and people of note who actually were greatly concerned about the human rights of Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people. And they actually worked with the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander leaders and elders. And I know that for a fact because I used to meet many of those people in my auntie's home um, when she lived in Spring Hill. During the Bielke-Peterson era, I can remember my auntie cousins and my uncle cousins. We had so many in our big extended family would, you know, be coming to and from that area and quite often the police would, would not want us around. It was not an easy time, let me just say that. My great-aunt, Auntie Winnie Smith, it's my grandfather Percy Conlon's sister, she was raised on Sherberg and then left to work and met her husband and moved away with the children. Then she came back to, to live in Brisbane and work in Brisbane. That was in the late 40s, early 50s. Yeah, early 50s. Her girls who grow, grew up then, you know, with my mother and all her sisters in, in Gympie went to live in Brisbane and they were involved in those very early political movement of self-determination and decolonisation. My aunt lived over in New Farm and then later to Spring Hill and her daughters were living in New Farm. Then her eldest daughter was a hostel manager in Aboriginal Hostel in Fortitude Valley and uh, in Brunswick Street. They all engaged in all sorts of ways in the establishment of Opal House and that was the place where Aboriginal and Islander people met to have dances and have social opportunities, multi-generational opportunities, dinners and dances in the 50s and 60s and even the shadow was still there in the 70s. Aboriginal people weren't allowed to come over that side of the city because of the boundaries that were set up. There were curfews so Aboriginal people weren't allowed to be there in the earlier days and that, that was a, a difficult time. Eventually, their political movement and the self-determination Aboriginal leaders, of which my great-aunt Winnie was one of them, there was Pastor Don Brady, a whole range of really impressive people who were inspiring and they, they worked to, to open up the city again to our people. Jagara and Turrbal people were around in those days and still are to this day. You know, their descendants are still here. So the whole city of Brisbane is hosted on traditional Aboriginal people's land. And Fortitude Valley, as I said, it's a nexus area. It's a powerful area enhanced and strengthened by those traditional borers that were in those areas. We need the support of all fair-minded people. We need people to, first of all, get get their history facts straight and recognise that every morning they wake up, they're standing on Aboriginal people's land. We never ceded it. 
we're a sovereign people. That, those new words like Brisbane and Fortitude Valley, that's what they are. They're new words. That's Yuggera country. There's always been a movement of Aboriginal and the people through and around and across that country. All the clans, the Kupuru clans, the other nations, the Turbal peoples, the Ningi Ningi, the Kabi Kabi, the Undambi, the Kwandamuka people, people from Mulanjali, they all came through that part of the city and all connected. And, uh, you know, even further out, the Yugurupal people, as far as you want to go, those Aboriginal nations and their representative clans came into that part of the country and connected there. And they brought with them their invited guests who they might have been hosting, who could have come from near and far, you know, 13 hours west of Brisbane, (laughs) 13 hours north of, of Brisbane, 20 hours. So it was a very powerful nexus area. And it's like a crossroads because people had to come there in order to get across the river because of the rich resources in the area and the welcoming nature of the Yagara people. They conducted their business. Their diplomatic trade happened around that area. Their secret and their sacred ceremonies happened around that area. And it's not for me to go into those things in great detail. There are elders from the Yagara people who can talk about this um, in greater depth and with greater knowledge of the history. But these are things that I've been given through oral history and oral tradition, but also from my own desire to know and support the traditional peoples of that area, retrieve and reclaim their rights as Indigenous people in this country. You're listening to 1.4 square kilometres from 4 Z and Women on the Edge. I'm not sure how we can change what's happening in the valley or steer it to be more inclusive. But I know stories are important. They challenge the idea that people can simply be moved on and moved out without consequence. Because the places we love don't just exist. They're shaped by and cared for by the people who live and work there. I know that quite a few went out to Mitchelton and Capera and Arana Hills. They've created a business that has a life expectancy of the least time. And now it's only been in the Isle of Chinatown. So Oz Care moved over to South Brisbane. It's just more in apartments. To go to Spring Hill. Transport house is empty now. And then no doubt the smaller venues are targeted. Where have they gone? They don't. They could have gone anywhere. I don't know. Thank you so much for listening to 1.4 Square Kilometres on 4ZZZ and Women on the Edge. I'm Shona Hawkes. I owe a huge thank you to everyone who helped with this story. Hannah Scanlon, TJ Valley Hearts, respecting Sally Johnson, Alan Kildaya, Kayla Rose Tamo, all the Women on the Edge, particularly Kim Stewart, 4ZZZ shows, Only Human, Indigibriz, the Brisbane Line News crew, particularly Lucy Chavinsky, who read the quick lists, and Craig Garrett. Oh! And the music. The music you heard during the show was Gautier, Somebody That I Used To Know, The Flangerpanies, Happier Than You, Fleetwood Mac, Tusk, Thy Master, Ditch, No Mercy, Where Do You Go, Andy Payne, Broke Again, River Mouth Reminder, The Who Substitute, The Who, Who Are You, Jan Han Bueller, It's Spring, Jimmy Buffett, If You Like Pina Coladas, Emily Waramala, Stomping Ground, The Flangerpanies, Noise Complaint. The show was made as part of the Women on the Edge program to get more women into community radio and simply would not exist without it. And that program was run through 4ZZZ, 4EB, The Edge at the State Library of Queensland and the Community Media Training Organisation. 
You're listening to 1.4 square kilometers from 4ZZZ and Women on the Edge. <laughs> 